We're going to be continuing in the book of Joshua. Hope you guys are ready. We're going to have to listen quick today because we're going to be continuing. As we were last week in Joshua chapter 2, last week we were in verses 10 through 13. And what we were looking at was the response of Rahab to the call upon her heart from God. And as we looked at that, what we saw in that response that she had to the messengers in that message, which was actually titled uh, "Living," it's called uh, Saving Faith. Saving faith. And what we saw in that message was, first of all, the fact that she heard God's call. We listed out different aspects of what, what happened in that response. First, she heard God's call. Then what happened was she hearkened to God's call. She let it impact her. She listened because it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to listen to it. So she hearkened unto the call. And through her hearkening of the call, what she did is she started to get a proper view of God, which gave her a proper view of herself. She realizes, realized her sinfulness and compared to God's holiness. And what that did was it actually humbled her. So she heard, then she hearkened, then she was humbled. Those things all took place within her. And then what happened, that what took place inside of her heart then started to bubble out. And we saw that she prayed. And we saw in her prayer, she called out to God. We saw then that message where she called out in verse number 12. She said, by the Lord. This is a God she does not even know yet. This is the messenger's God. Yet she's calling by the Lord. And she substantiated her faith in the proof. So she had her prayer, then she had the proof of what she had done. She had proven that she was someone that they could trust and believe in. Then she switched over to her petition. Her petition for the safety of her family, but also the fact that these men would prove themselves back to her. Right? She asked for a true token. Would you give me a promise that you will keep your word? Which brought us to her plea. Her plea for salvation as she pleaded for her family and for herself. Because she understood her plight. Her plight was that, guess what, she knew her city was getting ready to be destroyed, that that was getting ready to be the reality for them. And what we saw was the fact that in this step-by-step -step response that Rahab had, what we saw is actually, as God calls the world, guess what, they need to respond the same way. Respond the same way. They need to hear, right? They need to hear God's call. They need to hearken to God's call. They need to be humbled by what it is that they hear. And it would bring them to a place where they would be willing to pray. They would be willing to pray. They would display the proof of their faith by a broken heart as they repent of their sin, right? And what does it do? It brings them to a petition for salvation as they ask and pray out for God's mercy through their plea because they knew that their plight was on the way. Destruction. Because recognize the fact that anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no escape from what will come. There is destruction on the way. We don't want it for anyone. What we find is the fact that through that message, what we saw was this wonderful truth, was the fact that no matter who we are, <laughs> no matter what we've done, no matter where we come from, how farly, how far, farly, how farly we've fallen, <laughs> how far we've fallen, is the fact that God loves us, right? We see this. Look in this in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what God says. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, so even while we're in the midst of sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved. We know that God is calling out to humanity. There is no doubt. People are feeling the call of God. And whether or not we respond or not, that's up to us. But what we do know is this. Based upon the response that people have, their response will be displayed through in one of two ways. Salvation or destruction. There are no other choices. 
There is no in-between. So as God calls, there's a response. Now we know Rahab's response because we saw last week in Joshua 2 verses 12-13. She says, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Will you give me a true token? Will you give me a promise that you're going to do what you say? And that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Will you promise to save us? Will you promise? And what we're going to see this morning is their response back to her petition. She asks for a true token. And what we're going to see is they're going to give her the true token in the message this morning called a promise of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this time where we can gather around the Word of God. Thank you for the incredible depth of this Word. Uh, thank you, Lord, as I study over it and as I read it, Lord, and as the Spirit reveals truth, God, thank you so much that we have the ability through the Spirit of God to be able to see the deep things of God. Thank you for the word that you preserved over time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to get out of the way. You know my desire today is not to be heard. God, if I could just vanish and somehow have you just do it for me, that would be perfect. But I'm stuck here doing it, so just help me, help me to do the best that I can. Not to make it about me, but Lord, that we would just hear from you. Lord, speak to us. Speak to me. Help us, Lord, to receive, not from the human element, Lord, from the spiritual. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. <clears throat> and the man answered her, Our life for yours, if yet are not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she said, Let them down, then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. So I want us to kind of get an idea as she's responding here. She's kind of said her piece in response to their true token. And what we find is the fact that she's ready to kind of get them on the way, right? She's, she's going, hey, you know what? She says what she's going to say. She's like, come on, guys, you need to get on this rope. Come on, I'm going to lower you out of here. This is a hectic moment. Remember, she is under watchful eye. She's alone. The whole city is looking for these men. And what we find is in verses 15 and 16, she's not even finished talking to them when she lowers them down from the wall. Remember this in 15 and 16. What happens? She actually lowers them down. Then she gives them additional instructions when they're on the ground. So obviously she's not planning this out. This isn't like, I'm going to tell you everything I need to tell you. Let's communicate clearly and I'm going to let you go. This is, a, this is a hectic moment. She's trying to get them out. And what we'll find also as we continue in our message is they have a lot more to say to her. So now instead of this being a situation where they could whisper to one another, now they're standing like this looking up at the wall. She's looking out the window and they're yelling back. Well, not yelling, but they're probably whispering kind of loud back and forth to one another. Probably not the wisest way if you're trying to hide to communicate these things. So this is not something that was planned. But what we also see is the fact that as we've looked in our study, what we need to be reminded of is the fact that, remember, Rahab is a picture of the lost person who is seeking God. She's been pictured in that time and time again. We keep seeing her as that image. And we see the messengers. What are they? They are referenced, and we see them, these messengers. Now, we know that they're spies, but also the Bible references them as messengers. Remember in James 2.25, it says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers. Okay? They are messengers of news. Good news to her. Now, what do we call the good news? How do that? What's that called? The gospel, right? So her gospel, her good news, came by way of messengers, right? And what is happening with these men? They picture the saving power of God reaching out to the lost world. And when we picture this, I want you to consider this. They are God's human representatives that have come in advance of His judgment. Think about this. They've come in advance of the judgment that's to come to save any and all who will listen. Do you see the picture? 
right? We see it, don't we? Yeah. So Rahab, as we see her story, now she's been impacted by what she's heard from the stories about God's power. So we know that that was where she heard and she hearkened and she was humbled by that. But then when it takes action and she starts to get involved in this, guess who she talks to? She relays it to the messengers. Listen, as she told them their prayer, proof, petition, and plea because of the plight, she addresses it to these men, these representatives of God. In verse 14, this is their response. And the man answered, Our life for yours. If yet or not, this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And what I want to do is just focus on the first part of their token. Okay, that first part of what they say. They say, Our life for yours. Okay? Then we see a comma. God wants us to stop. When you see punctuation, God's trying to tell you, hey, there's a little message right here in this. I want you to stop for a moment and pay attention. Now they continue in that statement in 14 and it says, if you had or not this, our business. Okay? So what they're obviously saying is they're saying, hey, you know what? If you'll protect our lives, guess what? We'll protect your life, right? It's a trade. That's kind of what they're saying. So in the moment, that's what's being communicated. But you got to realize that God works in different levels. Okay? Sometimes you read something, it's just a historical account of what actually took place. And we go, okay, cool. That gives you a picture of what's taking place. But then prophetically, many times God's teaching something into the future through the words that are being said in a moment. And he's teaching us something else. Now I want you to look back at that phrase, our life for yours. Do you notice anything weird about that phrase? There's two men, but how many lives does it list? Our life. Our life for yours, singular. What are they representing? What are they a picture of? Now, listen, I might be crazy, but I, what I see in those four little words is the Lord pointing to the coming of the Lord, a salvation through Christ. And you go, wow, yeah, is that a bit of a stretch? But listen, we already know who Rahab represents. We know what the messengers represent. What are they saying? Our life for yours. And if, and if, if that wasn't enough, check this out. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, and listen to this phrase. When Christ, who is, what does it say? Our life. Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. What's it saying? Christ's life for yours. Do you see that? How cool is it that God is literally, these men are just communicating a truth to her, and at the same time God's going, I'm yelling into the ages, guess what? My son is coming. My son is coming, and he will give his life for yours. And it made me think of a gospel song by the Tally Trio, and it's called His Life for Mine, right? I heard that as soon as I read that line. I was like, that song started playing in my head. I'm going to read you the lyrics to this song, and I want you just to listen to the lyrics. I wish I could sing it, but I would be horrible, so we're not going to do that. I'm just going to read it to you. It says this, His heart was broken. Mine was mended. He became sin. Now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free. His life for mine. His life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die? God's son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine he gave his life for mine. His scars of suffering brought me healing. He spilled his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die, to save a wretch like me? What love divine he gave his life for mine. He was despised and rejected, stripped of his garments and oppressed. Check this out. I am loved and accepted, Amen. and I wear a robe of righteousness. Mm -hmm. 
His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die, to save a wretch like me? What love divine he gave his life for mine. First, we see a prophetic promise, a prophetic promise. And what a beautiful prophetic promise we see as this plays out on the walls of Jericho. These men are just communicating to her. They're yelling back, hey, you know, our life for yours. They don't realize what it is they're saying, but God's saying, hey, guess what? Not only am I telling her what's going to go on, but I'm telling of the coming Savior. I'm telling of the love that I have, the plan of salvation. My son is going to arrive, but it's not for 1,400 years in the future. 1,400 years in the future, and he's talking about it right there. And it's recorded in Scripture so that it can run through time. And we can be in this church here, sitting and talking and going, gosh, do you see what God was saying way back then? How awesome is that? And we see here that God has a plan. And guess what? He's always had a plan. It's always been the plan. Check this out. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, nothing on this earth redeemed you for salvation as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers. It says, look, you're not saved through religion. Nothing like that. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even formed, God had this plan, but was manifest in these last times for you. Christ's life for ours. Amen. And then verse 14 continues with another awesome truth. Love this. Look at this. This is your number two preordained promise. Verse 14 says this, And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land. Okay? So these men of faith, <laughs> they're trusting and proclaiming God's promises as if it is already determined. It is a fact they speak. Do you hear that? Christian, that needs to be the way we talk. Recognize the fact that things are preordained. God has told us the truth. We can look in the Word of God and we can see the future of humanity. We can look at what's going on in our culture right now and we can recognize it in the Scripture. There is no other book that has ever prophesied of the future that has gone without one mistake except for one, which is the Bible. Every other one has been proven to be full of lies. And what we find here is God says, look, guess what? I know the future because what? I've already seen the future. Right? He knows what's going to happen. He's simply recording for us what we know to be true. So here as we look into the future, he's already seen all of it. What we find is the fact that here we are as believers. And we know this to be a truth. And we have these promises from God. And yet, why do we doubt? Right. I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't know. Why do we doubt? Has he not proven himself to be faithful? Amen. Right? He has never failed us. He's never come short. He's never left us or redeemed us. You know, or left us without a redeemer. He's done all that he says he's going to do. And yet, these men are claiming victory while they are hiding for their lives in a massive city of soldiers and strength. And they're standing with victory on a wall, whispering it up. Guess what? When? When we come and take this place, just so you know, this has no chance. It's just two men standing down there. Remember this. That's what she's seeing. And these two guys are speaking with confidence, not in themselves, but in the God they serve. Amen. The very same one that we serve. Amen. And if they can be confident in a situation like that, why can we not be confident? For goodness sakes, what is wrong with us? Think about it. God has a perfect track record, yet we struggle to trust Him with our finances. How many folks struggle 
Right? Sometimes the tithe, you go, Ooh, I don't know if we can afford to do this. Be honest. Right? We've all struggled. There's been times when we know we should do, we should give. God lays something on our heart and they go, I don't know if I can afford to. Ah. Philippians 4.19 says this, But my God shall supply all your need. Not some of your need. All your need. According to His riches. His riches. It's His in the, in the beginning. Guess what? In the end, whatever. It's His. I don't know why I'm going to say that, but it's His. In glory by Christ Jesus. We struggle with trusting with our future. With our future. What about, what's, what about my career? What about this? What about that? Jeremiah 20 and 11. We know this verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Right? Because why? To give you an expected end. Amen. The plan that I have for you, I'm going to bring it to bear. I'm going to supply your needs. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about your future because I've got your future in my hand. Yes. We were about our health. Find out we're sick and all of a sudden all the world's coming to an end. God's forgotten me. Job 12.10 says this, In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Amen. See that? Yes. Yet we live in fear. Hallelujah. We live overwhelmed with circumstance. Amen. Our Savior tells it to it this way and as He speaks to the disciples. Listen to the way He explains it. Matthew 6 verses 25-33. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Let your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Does God not think more highly of us than He does to a sparrow? Yes, we are His ultimate creation, created in His image. Verse 27, Which of you by taking thought can add a cubit, one cubit unto his stature? We worry about things that we cannot change. Right? right? Who knows, ever noticed that worrying doesn't change anything? <laughs> but can it shorten our time on earth? My goodness gracious, there are people that live in constant worry. Their blood pressure is always high. They're always stressed out of their minds. They have issues with their family. They can't communicate because they're so worried about things they have no control over right. at all. Verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Nothing so, so beautiful. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, it has no real worth. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Amen. Amen. Warriors, do we not hear that? He's like, why do you spend your time worrying? Verse 31, or 30, 31 says, Therefore, take no thought. You're saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whither all shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. He says, the lost world worries about this stuff that you're stressing yourself out about. But guess what? They don't have a Heavenly Father that's looking out for them the way that I am looking out for you. For your Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He says, look, all that stuff is true. I'm going to take care of all that stuff. But let me give you a little bit of a qualifier at the back end. Just to make sure you understand why this takes place. Yeah. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. He's instructing us. How do you receive these things? How do you get God to watch out for you and cover you and make sure that all things are taken care of? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Focus your life on holiness. Not about fulfilling yourself. Not about worry or fear or doubt or anger or any of those kind of things. Deal with those issues, right? We talked about it on Wednesday. Man, Wednesday's been powerful, dude. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we talked about on Wednesday, the prophet, that we see that verse the wrong way. We read it backwards. We read it like this. You know what? I'm not going to fall prey to my flesh. And if I don't fall prey to my flesh, then I'll be walking in the Spirit. That's not what that verse says. It says your command is walk in the Spirit. 
The other part is a byproduct. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not walk in the flesh. It doesn't say, deny your flesh, and you will be walking in the Spirit. But that's the way we read it, because guess what? We like to be in charge. God says, you know what I need you to do? Submit to me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I'll handle the byproduct of you seeking me and putting me first is the things that you worry about you don't need to worry about. How cool is that? It's about time that you and I lived in victory as children of the king instead of wallowing around and cowering in fear as, we are, as if we're lost and fatherless. There's no reason for it. He's proven himself faithful. Yet we act like we don't have a father. We act like we're lost and we have no, no hope. And yet God says, I am hope. I am your hope. Put your hope and your faith in me. And don't worry. Don't be fearful. God's teaching us some valuable lessons. And understand, these men are talking victory, standing on walls that have not trembled yet. Walls that are strong and secure and soldiers they can see all around. And yet they stand in victory, not based upon what they see, but based upon what they know to be true. How awesome is that? Because they're holding on to a preordained promise, which leads us to our third promise, a compassionate promise, a compassionate promise that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Okay, this portion of the response is what they're basically doing is they're giving some additional support. They're helping her to say, hey, look, you know, this is a true token. Listen to the adverbs that they use here. Okay, they say kindly and truly. We might say compassionately and honestly. Okay, what's interesting about this phrase is this phrase right here that we will deal kindly and truly. It shows up several times in Scripture, and there's one in particular I want to show you. That this is Jacob, whose God changes his name to Israel. And what happens is Israel is on his deathbed. And he's on his deathbed. He calls his son Joseph to him. And he's, he's going to make a plea to him. He's going to talk to Joseph. And he's going to open his heart to him. And I want you to listen to what he says to him in Genesis 47, 29. As he's about to die. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, but put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. This is a place if you were going to make a vow. This is where they would do it. He says, And deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Class, why would he not want to be buried in Egypt? Picture of the world and a picture of sin. He says, look, man, hey, don't leave my bones back there. You know where I want to be? The promised land. Take me to the promised land. And you know what's really cool? Not by coincidence, guess what? Joseph's going to ask for the exact same thing. When you get to the very end of Genesis, guess what happens? When Joseph's about to die... Listen to what he says here in Joseph uh, 50, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Notice this. At this point in time, they've made their home in Egypt. And what he's saying is, guess what? God's going to bring you out of here. This is before they fall into slavery. Okay? This is when they're still free. They're still living side by side with the Egyptians. But before it even happens, he's already prophesying of it as he's still alive. And Joseph took an oath of the, of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Do not leave me in this place. And the Bible says, instead of him being buried in the ground, they put him in a coffin so his body could be moved. Don't be leaving in Egypt. Nothing, comes, nothing good comes out of Egypt. As we talked about in the Bible, anytime you find Egypt, you always go down in the Bible. It's always down to Egypt. Down to Egypt. Down to Egypt. It's a picture of the world. It's a picture of sin. Their promise of Canaan, right? This is, is, it is literally before the slavery even takes place. But what we find is the fact that here, what's happening is these men, 
that are receiving this message from Rahab. Remember, they are messengers of the gospel. And what, is they, what do they say? We will deal kindly and with kindly and truly, right? That's the words they use, kindly and truly. Kindly and truly. Now, you and I, guess what we are to this world? We're ambassadors. We're messengers. How are we to deal with this world? Kindly and truly. We're supposed to be compassionate and understanding, but at the same time, honest. Romans 5, verses 7 through 9. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Okay, he says, look, there's good people, there's righteous people. People might die for them. But listen, now he's going to talk about us. But God commendeth his love toward us. He says, just so you know, you're not the good and you're not the righteous. <laughs> Somebody might die for them. But listen, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, he said, this is the group you're in. You're sinners. Yep. Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from uh, saved from wrath through Him. So, hey, there's no greater kindness than that. God offers Himself when we don't deserve it. He comes for us. So, why? yes, God is kind and God is loving, but at the same time in Scripture, He's extremely honest. He's honest about the penalty of sin and what awaits those that will reject Him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, physical and spiritual. Luke, 4, Luke 12, verses 4 and 5 says this, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, the physical body, and after that have no more they can do. Listen to what he says here. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Amen. You need to fear God. Don't worry about humanity. You fear God. Right. And man, listen, understand, this whole thing, this promise of kindness coupled with truth with Rahab receiving that, she's going to do the following in verse 15. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And in doing so, look at what she's going to do. She's going to reveal something to us. A pictured promise. A pictured promise, number four. What do I mean by a pictured promise? The pictured promise is actually found in the cord. That cord that she lowers them down. Now this is the tool that she's going to facilitate getting them from where they are down to the ground. This is their escape route, their way to come down. But at the same time, understand, remember, their message is one of salvation. Let's look at this. And we're going to find out some additional information about this court. We're going to go to verse 18 in Joshua 2. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. So this cord is scarlet. Scarlet is a deep Red, okay? A deep red color. What we find about scarlet in Scripture is the fact that it shows up as two things. It shows up as sin, and it shows up as a picture of salvation through the blood of Christ, okay? Those are the two things that it shows up as. I want you to consider this. What we see is that this scarlet cord is the vehicle that God, that will bring Rahab's saviors, the messengers, down to earth. Amen. What brought Jesus to earth? Why did he come? For the sins of the world. The very thing that brought him down to earth was the sin of mankind, picturing the Lord's descent to earth to save the world from their sin. While at the same time, picturing salvation, it's picturing the sinless blood of Christ. And what we'll see next week, 
Not only is it the fact that the scarlet thread is a picture of our Savior's sacrifice, but it's actually going to be tied. Because guess what? We don't have to do an Easter message next week because what we're doing, and I love how God works. This just shows you the way if you preach the Word and you just work through the Bible the way God plans it, this is so cool. So I didn't plan that this is going to work out on Easter, but God's message tomorrow for next week is exactly, it is an Easter message literally sitting right in our Scripture. I didn't time it out. I did not plan it. It just happened to work out that way. And it's the same thing in Exodus. When we need specific things, God goes, let me put it right where it needs to be. Exactly the right time. And what we're going to see tomorrow is you're going to see the same way we saw the blood over the lintel post. We're going to see the same thing shown to us in this wall of Jericho. It is awesome. I cannot wait. I wish I could preach it this week, but I'm not going to. Oh, we could be here for hours, but it would be good. And I'm just telling you. Anyway, <clears throat> we'll save it. But what we see is the plan of salvation again and again and again. And what's so neat about it is that guess what? Not only do we see it in the New Testament, but we see it throughout the Old Testament as well. And if we have a proper study of the Word of God, you will find the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find the saving power of God in every single book of the Bible. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, you can find Christ again and again and again and again and again. Always pointing, always pointing, always pointing, always pointing to God's plan, which is just awesome. Listen, 1 Peter 1.20, what did it say? Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but what was manifest in the last time. So the same way that God had a plan for the world, guess what? He had a specific plan for Rahab, too. A very specific plan. And guess what? He also has a very specific plan for who? For us. He knows our name. He knows the number of the hairs on our head. No matter if even some of us were losing them by the day. I mean, every day he's going to oh, check off ten more off that one, right? <laughs> and disappearing off the head and showing up on the back, wherever it's happening. As you get old, that's just what happens. But he knows what's going on. <laughs> but we look at this and we go, wow, God has a plan. And what's happened here with her? She is literally, she's lowering them down. This is all she has to hold on to. This is the only thing that's physical she has to hold on to, and she's lowering them to the ground. Now what's going to happen? She's getting ready to see the only thing that she has that she could look at, that she could say, here's my proof of what's to come. She's going to lower them to the ground, and guess what? They're going to walk away. And what's she going to be left with? Her gospel. Her good news. That's all she's going to have. What will she console herself with? Over the next three days, the words of these men. All she has is their word. Understand, the moment that they walk away, all she has is what they told her. So she's talking to her family. <laughs> well, what's going to happen, Rahab? Well, those guys said that uh, everything was going to be good and uh, we're going to survive somehow, but everyone else is going to die. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, how do you know that? <clears throat> well, they, they gave me a promise. Oh, how do you, do you know these guys? Nope. Never seen them before in my life. Okay. Well, we feel secure. <laughs> right? Think about that situation. We're like, what in the world? Right? But you and I, guess what? Prior to receiving the Spirit of God, right, when you get saved, there's a spiritual baptism that takes place with you. And guess what? You have the presence of the Spirit of God. But prior to that, guess what all we have? It's the Word. We have the Word of God. We can trust it or not trust it, right? And what we know is the fact that Rahab can trust these men. They are men of faith, and they are men that will keep their word. Well, the great news is, guess what? The God who gave us the word of God, guess what? He can be trusted, and he will keep his word. Listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandment to a thousand generations. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do? And hath he not, hath, or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, 
that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Right? And what happens when we may see that sometimes there are times in life when God is not easily seen. And we think about Him. And we allow fear to kind of work its way into our life because we feel isolated or we feel alone. And what can happen? We walk by faith during these times. We hold on to God's truth. But I'm just going to tell you, if you've been saved for any period of time, there will come a day when darkness will find its way into your life. Yes. Darkness will come. And you know what? Sometimes that darkness can be all-consuming. Sometimes the light that you used to hold on to and used to walk in starts to wane. And you find yourself in absolute darkness. And what happens in those moments is we have to hold on to what we know. Right. Right? We have to hold on to what we know. Because no matter how much the darkness consumes us, I, you know what? And it can be through loss or depression or failure or, or illness or betrayal, whatever it is. And I'm not telling you it's not going to happen because it is going to happen. It is going to happen. And you can be amidst in that consuming darkness and be scared to death. Or you can have absolute peace. It's not determined by God. It's determined by you. Will we walk by faith and not by sight? Or do we allow the darkness to determine our faith? Because we're not, doing, we're not standing on what we know. Check this out. Psalm 23, verses 4 and 6. 4 through 6. No matter how dark it gets. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay? That's about the darkest shadow you can find. That's absolute pitch blackness. You believe your life is over. You believe you are to die. Right? That is the moment of absolute despair and brokenness. Right? What's God doing in this psalm? He's picturing us, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that make us? Sheep, right? We're talking about a pictured promise. God pictures promises throughout the scripture. Listen to what he says to the sheep, to us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right? Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Even amongst the most ones that want to destroy me, you're going to meet my needs. You're going to take care of me. So no matter what I see, no matter how big the army is in front of me, guess what? I need not fear because you're still going to take care of me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. God's just a specific reason why, God, why that's in there. Why do they anoint the head of the oil, oil on their head? Because you know what those, those sheep do? They'll go push their head into a bramble and guess what happens? Their head gets stuck. And he oils them up. Bugs get in their ears and in their eyes and they go crazy because of it. And the oil keeps it away. He's protecting their mind, their thoughts, their life. So God's simply saying, look, I'm protecting you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect your heart. He says, my cup runneth over. He gives me more than I need. He gives me more than I need. So here I am. I'm in the darkness. I'm in the valley. I'm in the darkest place of my life. But in the midst of that darkness, he says, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you more than you need in those moments. Yeah. Verse 6, surely, certainly, I know for sure, it's a proven fact, it's a promise from God is what he's saying. Goodness and mercy should follow me all the days of my life. And when my life is over, and I leave this place, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How awesome is that? So when the darkness comes, guess what? That's what we hold on to. 
We don't live based upon what we see. We live upon what we know. Rahab's not going based upon what she knows, what she sees. She can't. Yep, yep. This is a dark moment. She's alone. The only two people that were there to assure her are gone. And now she's the one that's got to assure her family. Hey, guess what? Hold on. Continually, God does this as he pictures himself, which brings us to our fifth promise, a protective promise, a protective promise. Verse 16, and she said unto them, get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned. And afterward, may you go your way. Boy, okay, this is being communicated, right? Remember, they're at loud whispers. They're yelling God back and forth. This is a risky situation. Yet, she, yet uh, this is another way where she's proving her faith. And I want you to notice that she says, get ye to the mountain. Like it's obvious. They're like, oh, the mountain, sure. But they don't know where they are. But the reason why they say that is because guess what? Jericho happens to sit at the base of a big mountain. Okay, so it's pretty obvious. They're like, what mountain? She's like, <clears throat> that one. Right? Here's a picture of it right here. So this is actually, today, this is called the Mount of Temptation. You'll see up here, this is actually, I think the next picture shows it better. There you go. This is actually a monastery up here. That's built in 1895. That was built there by uh, Greek Orthodox churches. And what it is, is actually they, they think that's, or their prophets, or they believe it to be the place where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. That's why it's built there. It's called the Mount of Temptation. That's the Monastery of Temptation. So as they, she directs them to the mountains, understand, these men are trusting her. What we see in this moment is the fact that this promise of protection for Rahab, she's trusting these men, but now they've got to trust her. They don't know the area. They don't know exactly what's going on. She knows that the other men, that the men went to, to the promised land, or to the, to, to, uh, to the Jordan, but she doesn't relay that to them. She just says, look, trust me, go to the mountain and hide, and in three days, you can go where you want to go. And what's interesting about that is that she gives three days. Okay? Do you remember back when I told you when we were doing Joshua chapter 1, Verse 11, I told you that three days was going to be important. Check this out, okay? Joshua 1.11, Joshua says this, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare ye victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over the Jordan to go into the possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. So look, in three days, you're going to be at the Jordan in three days. So here are these men. As they hear this from her, right? Imagine the confidence that it would give them for her to go, Wait three days. They're like, Oh, three days. And in three days, you'll be, you'll be good to go. What's cool is God's working on both sides. He's working in Joshua's side and he's working in Rahab's side. His plan is being worked out through everybody. And these guys are able to hear it on both ends of the spectrum. So they're going, okay, okay. Remember, God's the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, man. He's in it all. Amen. Ephesians 4, 6 is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. And we hear the assurance that they would have received in this moment. Understand, remember we talked about that three days. What is three days? It represents a time of preparation and a time of transition. What's happening right now? The Israelites, Joshua, the spies, and Rahab, guess what? They're all being prepared for a transition that's about to take place. Right? And you can imagine, in this moment, right? She's got fear coupled with excitement. Because imagine, right? Rahab and her family, they're experiencing right now as these men are going to be gone. As I said, they're trusting unfamiliar men. They're trusting an unfamiliar God and a future that they are certain is coming, which is utter and complete destruction of everything that they know. Imagine the mindset that you would be at in these moments. So during this three days, she's holding on to the promise from, from verse 14. And the man answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that, ye, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. 
Now, she must have been repeating this in her mind, right? Because you've got to realize during this time, while she's talking to her family and she's reassuring herself and she's going back over these words in her mind, that guess what? Things are happening in Jericho. There's some stuff going on here. They're getting ramped up for what's to come. And understand, when you and I face challenges in this life, we may have to spend time, we're going to have to know that word and we're going to relay it over and over in our mind. But God promised me. But God promised me. But God promised me. And you know what? He, he can be trusted. And I can hold on to Him. I'm going to hold on to His Word. Because what's Rahab doing? She's holding on to the Word, the only thing she has. And that's what you and I must do. We must hold on to the Word. Because as this city is getting ramped up, I can promise you that there are armaments being brought to the wall. I can promise you that soldiers are getting ready. I can promise you that defenses are being built because consider the situation. What happens? They know the Israelite army is on the other side of the Jordan. They know they've come. They've seen the smoke from the destruction of their neighbors. They know destruction is coming. They've heard the stories that those cities were utterly wiped out and God is coming. They've been fearful for 40 years waiting for it to come. Now they know the spies have come into their city and they've not found them. So do you think they were like, well, let's just see what happens? No. I guarantee you, man, they are buckling up and getting ready to fight. So here Rahab is, with all she has, is the words of men she does not know, who are now there gone, and everything around her is building up and building up and building up and building up, and the armor and the steels and the voices and the men shouting, get ready, get ready, fight, fight, fight. Thousands of men ready to fight. And she's going, all I've seen is two guys that gave me a promise, and they're not here anymore. All she can do is hold on to the Word. Amen. And there will be times in this life when you're going to see the world amass around us. And it's going to look strong and scary and overwhelming. And we're going to feel outnumbered and broken. But you know what she's doing? She's trusting these men with her whole heart. The messengers, they spoke with authority and they pointed to God's power. And that's what we have to do when we look in the Word. We realize the fact of God's authority, His power, His promises are true. He says what He says He's going to do and He does it. We can look in our own lives and experience it time and time again and look back on His track record in our own life and see it. Look in Scripture and see how many times God comes through. Because you know what He's done? He's left us promises. He's left us prophetic promises. Preordained promises. Compassionate promises. He's given us pictured promises. And protective promises promises. God is faithful. Will we allow what we see or feel or believe to determine our faith? Or will we claim God's promises? The ones that are laid out in His Word. Deny our flesh and our fear of death to claim a promise of life. Because you remember back in John 10.10, what did Jesus say? As he told us who the enemy was, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. The armies of evil are coming and they are powerful and fortified and they outnumber us greatly. I am come that they may have life. And not just life, but that they may have it more abundantly. Remember when we started this study and I told you what the promised land is? The abundant life with Christ. Where are they heading? The promised land. The promised land. 
where we can walk with God Amen. and experience an abundant life of peace and victory Amen. instead of being overwhelmed by fear. Let's about time we claim promise of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today, God, for helping us, uh, Lord, with a powerful word from the message, uh, God, that you've given us uh, through time. Thank you, Lord, for prophetically all that you've taught us. Thank you, Lord, for the pictures you've shown us. Thank you, Lord, for the protection we receive, the, the assurances we have in the word of God. Thank you, God, for the work that you've done in our lives today. And I do pray that you help us, Lord, as, as the world can be a scary place. Help us, Lord, not fall prey to what we see, but help us to walk by faith and not by sight, that we might honor you and the promises that you've made. Thank you, God, for being there with us no matter what we may face, no matter who we are, no matter how far we have fallen, God, you are ready, willing, and able to restore us. And today, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, listen, if you're here today, you're watching online, you're watching this recorded, and you say, I don't know where I stand with God. The world is a scary place. I've experienced the horrors of it. There are people that are scarred beyond belief from the damage that this world has done to them. But I want you to know that the great Redeemer, the Healer, the God, the Lord Jesus Christ is ready to redeem, ready to heal, and ready to restore the broken. That's what He specializes in. There are people in this room that can testify of brokenness that has been restored. Praise God. And they've seen God do the impossible. So if you're watching this or you're in here and you say, you know what, I don't know. I know I'm broken. That part I know. But I don't know where I stand with the Lord. And I want you to know that He loves you right where you are. Even in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And all we have to understand is we need to, we need to hear His call. We need to hearken to the call. And we need to be humble before the Lord before we pray. And we pray to God and we say, Lord, you know what? I know that I'm the problem. I understand that I'm lost. Because I don't know Christ. But I want to know Him. Right now, God is reaching out to you. And as we said, God's call is reaching out to humanity. And no matter who you are, when this is, it's not a matter of a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's a matter of a broken heart coming to God to be restored by faith. So as He calls out to you, all you need to do is respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Again, this isn't a magic prayer. If you say the words of this prayer and you don't mean business with God, you're not sincere, don't waste your time. It will do nothing for you. But if your heart's broken, you know you want to receive Christ. He's ready to receive you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Pray with me. I'm going to pray and I'm going to have you repeat after me in your heart and mind as we talk to him. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I have no doubt of my broken condition. But I believe that you love me in spite of myself and that you died on the cross that you were buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, you rose from the dead. God, I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.